Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Just the Truth podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society. I'm Jenna Ellis, and everyone today is talking about the Derek Chauvin verdict that was handed down yesterday afternoon. And they're all talking about the merits of the case, the social impact, all of this. I want to talk about something different that we need to be talking about. Uh, Everyone's talking about the merit, the video, all of that. I want to talk about the legal procedural aspect here and why it was a wrong decision of this judge not to grant a mistrial in the case in light of the public pressure that was put on the jury by federal members of government, including including the President of the United States. This is something that I have personally seen in uh, trials where I've litigated, uh, where judges have granted mistrials for far, far, far less of undue influence of the jury and potential uh, appearance of coercion and undue influence is so important. Because right now, Everyone in America is split over whether this verdict is uh, justified, whether this was the right verdict, and, and none of those things, of course, legally matter in terms of an appeal or to our justice system. I mean, overall, legitimacy is important, of course, and perception is important, but people view things through their own lens of their worldview, as we've talked about uh, on this show. And so whether or not you think they came to the quote-unquote right verdict, that is the province of the jury. But what is important about the province of the jury and what is important to the legal legitimacy of the verdict is whether or not the jurors were coerced into their verdict. And it is highly, highly reckless and totally improper for federal office holders like Maxine Waters, like Joe Biden, and even local officials like the mayor of Minneapolis to be publicly commenting on what they consider to be the right verdict and putting public pressure, uh, things like what Maxine Waters actually said. If you go back and you listen to her clip, she was saying that there will be riots, there will be destruction, there will be uh, burning of buildings and potentially even targeting of these jurors' families unless they reach the verdict that she believed was the only correct outcome. Well, last time I checked, Maxine Waters is not on the jury. And why this is so problematic is because everyone understands that this type of public pressure on the jury, and I don't care that they were sequestered, jurors still have their cell phones, uh, those aren't taken away, they still have the ability to access information. If you think that those 12 people were not aware of the public pressure on them, not just because this is a high profile case, but because of all of the uh, media attention in the last 11 months leading up to this case, they were fully aware. And 
this type of public pressure and comment and coercion leads to an inference that this verdict wasn't legitimate. And I want to be perfectly clear here that I have never expressed publicly, nor am I going to, a comment on what the correct verdict should be or should have been. This is not about a not guilty versus a guilty verdict uh, or a split verdict. This is all about the province of the jury and making sure that in high profile cases where you have social justice warriors like Maxine Waters, like the president of the United States publicly telling a jury, here's the right outcome or else. And then the jury goes along with that public threat. There is an implication there of coercion. And of course, we know that the definition of coercion is the practice of persuading someone to do something by by using force or threats. That is never okay in a just society. That is never okay in our justice system. And so if the verdict had been not guilty, we would know for sure that the public threats and intimidation had no effect on the outcome. Right. So I would still be saying that the judge should have declared a mistrial so that there was absolutely no question that this kind of behavior is not going to be tolerated by our justice system. The judge had a duty under the law to protect the independence and impartiality of that jury. And that's where I think the biggest failure here was, because now that we have this verdict, if it goes up and is overturned on appeal, then we're going to have um, yet another round of of all of this. And, oh, this is a miscarriage of justice um, and so forth. If he had declared a mistrial and put everyone in the nation on notice that this type of threat and direct threat to the outcome of a verdict through our due process justice system is not going to be tolerated, that kind of thing would have been the best way to uphold the rule of law in this case. And if at the next trial, the jury, I mean, you can't unring the bell, so they'll still have heard Maxine's comments, but it won't have been uh, in proximity to this particular jury. Uh, They could kick it down the road, you know, six, eight months uh, and wait for a cooling off period. And then when that new jury comes uh, and they hear all the evidence, they return a verdict, then at least we have the best possible scenario for true, meaningful justice as part of the procedural due process elements here. So we can debate all day, and um, and I did yesterday actually with uh, with my two guests, and you're gonna hear from them in a minute. I want to play uh, th- this interview for you with Pastor Daryl Scott and my friend uh, Yako Buyans, who uh, we can't, we talked about the difference between meaningful justice and social justice uh, within the context of. The verdict and the public's reaction and, of course, the pressure from politicians and all of that is a very, very, very important conversation. But leading up to this, we shouldn't even be having the conversation initially about the merit of a verdict where there is such a cloud over the legitimacy of the verdict. And you know, if you're the left, um, they don't care about the cloud of legitimacy, um, just like they don't care about the cloud of legitimacy over the, the outcome of the 2020 election. 
they they just care that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are in the White House right now. They could not care less that there are at least 74 million Americans out there who believe that the election was thoroughly corrupt. And I'm one of them. I was I was personally involved uh, in in all of that and representing uh, President Trump and still now advocating for election integrity. Um, the Democrats don't care about that. So they are always just going to care about the outcome and if that's the outcome they prefer. I mean, look at what the mainstream media is doing today. Look at what BLM Incorporated and you have CNN and MSNBC pundits who are literally crying on air as if this verdict was was justifying them personally. I mean, this is something that they're so emotionally involved in this and they have such an agenda based on their narrative of systematic racism and uh, defunding the police and moving forward with their socialist uh, reinvention of justice agenda that they don't even care about the legitimacy of the system. In every single way, the Democrats and the far progressive left are trying to tear down our system. They are trying to, and they use this term reinvent, which is a uh, a nicer way in their view, because you know they, they they always use the terms that are nicer sounding, so that when we attack their ideas, they can say, well, who isn't for uh, reform? Who isn't for equality? Who isn't for you know all of these pretty sounding ideas? But what they're actually saying, they're not for reinventing anything. They're for tearing down America. Let's be clear about that. They are for tearing down our system by any means and mechanism possible. And what we saw leading up to this verdict from people like Maxine Waters and even uh, people who seem and sound timid and uh, non-threatening like Joe Biden sitting there in the Oval Office, make no mistake, that was a very, very clear message. And he even used the caveat by saying, oh, they're sequestered, uh, they can't hear what I'm saying, so otherwise I wouldn't be, be saying this. Well, that's still reckless. That's still an abusive power. That is still an undue pressure and coercion on that jury. And this judge, uh, who knows what pressures he may have been under. Uh, there, He may have just wanted to get this trial over so that he can be out of the limelight. Uh, there are a lot of judges that actually don't like uh, when there's high profile attention on them, cameras in the courtroom. Uh, they prefer to do their job in relative uh, peace and quiet. And so who knows what kind of uh, pressures or thoughts this uh, particular judge was having or uh, why he refused to grant a mistrial to the defense. Um, I think that the arguments that the defense attorney made were all of the correct ones to lay that foundation, preserve that appeal, uh, preserve that issue for appeal. And we need to ask ourselves the question, do we really want to have as precedent a trial judge in a high-profile case where a citizen of the United States is on trial, the inference that if you threaten the jury, if you tell them what they must do, otherwise consequences will be imposed on them, their families, their city, their country, then what we have tacitly and overtly even allowed in this country is a complete destruction of the legitimacy of our justice system, the province of the jury to be fact finders and be impartial, 
be removed and protected in their province to determine solely in their judgment the facts of the case based on the evidence and return a verdict accordingly. That's what this case is now about. And again, we can debate the merits all day. We can all have our individual opinions. We're not on the jury. Remember that. We can all have our individual opinions on whether or not uh, Chauvin was guilty of any one or all three of the offenses that were charged. But what every person who's interested in true, meaningful justice, not just social justice and an outcome by whatever means possible, anyone who is genuinely interested in protecting the legitimacy of our justice system, which is the greatest in the world, by the way. It's not perfect by any means. That's why we have the appellate process. That's why we have the rules of procedure. Uh, We have every element of due process that our founders specifically protected for individuals who are going through uh, the justice system, who are charged by the state, the government, With a criminal offense, we have protections. It's not perfect, but it's still the best in the world for every person who understands this, the seriousness of this. We have to make sure and agree on the ability of the jury to remain impartial and free from undue influence and coercion. That's what we need to be talking about in this case. So we're going to take a break uh, right here, and then I'm going to go to the interview that I really want you to listen to from last night. This was right after the verdict uh, was rendered, and I talked with my friends, Pastor Daryl Scott, who's the host of SmackDown on Real America's Voice every Saturday, and Yako Buyans, who's a wonderful Christian, uh, and he is the founder of Share Together. He also does a lot in the realm of protecting against human sex trafficking, and he's just an amazing individual. So I spoke with both of them last night right after the verdict, and we talked about the difference between true meaningful justice and social justice. So you're not going to want to miss this. Uh, Stick around for more of Just the Truth Podcast. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Just the Truth. Derek Chauvin has been found guilty on all three charges. And so this raises the question in the broader context about how conservatives and constitutionalists in America need to respond to the question, what is justice? How do we understand justice? So here to react to the verdict and to do our deep dive into social justice versus true meaningful justice are my good friends Yako Buyans, who's the founder of Share Together, and Pastor Daryl Scott, who's the host of SmackDown every weekend right here on Real America's Voice. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for having us. God bless you. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you, Jenna. All right. So, uh, Pastor Darrell, I'll go to you first. Uh, what's your reaction to this verdict? Well, the legal process played out, which is something that I, I desired. I intentionally withheld any opinion on social media. Uh, I would express different uh, our perspectives or outlooks on the trial as it went on, but I withheld my opinion. 
and I just wanted the legal process to play out. And um, you know what? I have to be totally honest. I feel sorry for both parties involved. I feel sorry for George Floyd, and I feel sorry for J Derek Chauvin as well. I know Derek Chauvin wishes he could have that nine and a half minutes back. That nine and a half minutes changed his life. Uh, one life ended, another life for lack has almost ended. Uh, you know, it, it's been drastically and dramatically changed. I know there's a lot of regret and remorse uh, on the part of Derek Chauvin that if he had taken the stand, I believe he would have expressed his remorse for that. And so it's very unfortunate that, you know, this happened in America, but the legal process played out. I can't say trust the process and then say I mistrust the process when I don't get the verdict that I desire. The process played out. For all intents and purposes, justice was served, and I'll have to, you know, uh, accept that, regardless of well, my personal feelings. Right. And so, so Yaka, I mean, what's your perspective here? Uh, we know that the verdict is guilty now on all charges. Do you think that that was a true and just verdict, or how do we look at this? Yeah, Jenna, Scripture gives us great guidelines in Deuteronomy uh, regarding due process. You know, and so due process, we have to ask ourselves here, was due process interfered with? Was due process interfered with in the 11th hour by a Maxine Waters, for instance? And those are questions that maybe we can't answer and we'll have opinion on. But due process is clear in the word of God. And, and, and the law of the land as structured is to be adhered to according to the word of God and, and pay, pay your taxes to Caesar. What's due Caesar, pay Caesar. But what we're finding right now is a blurred a state of the nation when it comes to the law in this country about social justice and actual justice. And the confusion is what bothers me most, Jenna, because I believe the justice that the street wants, actually, the, the social justice is blood. They want blood. And that would not be the correct just, justice. That would not be biblical justice. The outcry from people like Maxine Waters, which stokes the fire which would, I think, still result in violence. I do not think personally that today's verdict is necessarily going to stop the rioting and the looting that we have seen and the violence, because inherently there's a heart hurt in America. And the heart hurt is not going to be fixed by a single court verdict. And so we have to address the underlying issue according to the Word of God and what God truly says. And justice according to the Word of God is always about restoration. It's always about bringing together. And sure, justice had to be served according to due process with Mr. Chauvin, absolutely. And we had to see it played out. Was it interpreted correctly and was it interfered with? Remains to be discussed. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting uh, juxtaposition that both of you bring up, is that, of course, due process plays out. The jury is the fact finder in these situations, and the province of the jury is to render a verdict. And so due process, at least in theory, happened because the jury sat, they rendered a verdict. But what we may never know is how much influence did statements like Maxine Waters have? How much uh, influence did someone like Joe Biden or even the, the possible threats of riots? I mean, we we saw the huge crowd that was gathered outside the Minneapolis courthouse. I mean, even here in D.C., uh, there's concern that in major cities, uh, riots and looting will happen. And so, uh, so Pastor Darrell, I mean, how much uh, stock and weight do you put in uh, the system as it played out versus what the judge said even yesterday, that uh, this case may now be overturned on appeal, even though he didn't grant a mistrial? 
Well, I, I don't think Maxine Waters' statements affected the jury. I don't think that her statements changed the outcome. I think her statements did, did give George Chauvin a grounds for appeal. Derek Chauvin, excuse me, a grounds for appeal. And so if it affected it in any type of way, it affected it positively for Chauvin. Uh, but I don't think anyone, after all the testimony and the weeks of testimony, I don't think any juror was leaning towards not guilty and then heard Maxine Water and switch their opinion. I don't think that. Now, I will say this. I think the major influence on this entire trial, the major influence, the outside source major influence was the video footage. The video footage with video footage available now. It, 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 people are more engaged in the process and people now formulate opinions based upon video uh, footage that they've seen prior to any other evidence being presented. There were people that saw those videos and I don't care what was presented in their mind, Derek Chauvin was guilty because I saw the video. Even though a lot of times you think you see what you saw, you didn't really see what you think you saw. But I think the major, the major factor in this was the video footage. And that is the uh, element in this whole thing that caused public opinion and so the social, quote unquote, social justice warriors to get inflamed, to get emotional is this footage. And the footage will indeed produce emotions in the viewer. And so I think that is what had the most bearing on the case. If this was simply a matter that there was no video footage available and there was the police word against the bystanders word or against this and that, you're going based upon circumstantial evidence only and different things like that or uh, forensic evidence, it would be different. But with that video footage, but it does raise the question, I think, uh, Pastor Darrell, that this was kind of a foregone conclusion even as of last summer. And so do you really think that the jury wasn't, that the members who were already on the jury, I mean, they were seeing the news as of last summer. They haven't been sequestered since the event took place. And so is there, in your mind, at least a possibility that the foregone conclusion of the court of public opinion influenced the jury? What? You would hope not. I mean, when no. they selected the jury, I, I know there's a, uh, there's a process in jury selection, and each of the jurors has the jurors have to um, at least try to maintain uh, the fact that they're not biased or they haven't been swayed by public opinion. So you would hope that they were honest enough and had enough integrity to adhere to whatever the stipulations to be a juror are, that they were not prejudiced going in. You would hope that. Now, with human beings, it's always subjective. You never, ever know who went in with a made-up mind, who went in with a predisposition or a predilection to lean towards one way or the other. You'll never know that. Uh, but you would hope that they went in fair and open-minded. I don't know. Yeah, and Pastor, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely, but that is my point exactly, is now for those social justice warriors, for the movement, Right. Is the movement now in a place where they say, OK, justice was served. It ran due process, guilty on all three verdicts. Is that going to change the heart and the intent of America today? And I and I question that because I question those who on the back of George Floyd, a man who lost his life, which never should have happened. Every life is sacred, went and harmed others. And blood versus blood can never produce life. Death cannot produce life according to the word of God. And so will that movement now halt in the tracks and say justice was served? 
can we now contribute towards building, you know, a, a better nation? And I question that because I question the intent from the start, whether it was truly for them about George Floyd or whether there is an underlying bitterness and, and a, a need for revenge. This is irrelevant of race. But is there an underlying need for blood, as I would call it, in revenge, which cannot be satisfied by a court verdict? And so I hope in our nation today we see, okay, there's a verdict. And and for all due purposes, due process was served. And there will be a sentencing. And then that remains to be seen. Is the sentencing satisfactory to the movement? Is the sentencing satisfactory to the social justice warriors. And we'll have to see, because that sentencing, to my knowledge, Jenna, resides with the judge on the case. Yes, yes. And so what's interesting here, and I think uh, you know why it's important that we have this deep dive conversation, is to get into the broader understanding of what BLM Inc. and other people define as justice. Because in our criminal justice system, as you were just saying, Yako, uh, to have due process served and to have a verdict, whatever it was, if it was not guilty on all counts, if it was a split verdict, if it's guilty on all counts like it was, that should be the final say and conclusion, obviously pending appeals. But that, by definition, should mean that justice is rendered because of due process. That's the way that we get to it. But I think your question is valid. Will that satiate and satisfy BLM Inc., who is looking for more? Who will they say, okay, because of this verdict, now, great, everybody go home, we're fine, you know, or are they going to then use this as a catalyst to say, look, this now evidences further systematic racism, this evidences why we need to have uh, BLM and the movement uh, grow even more? What is going to be their response? And I think tonight, especially in Minneapolis, but across cities, uh, across America. This is going to be very interesting what the leaders respond to this and how the individual people respond to this. Because if social justice is about collective guilt, then there's still more harm that needs to have justice served. If this is truly, genuinely just about Derek Chauvin, then his trial's over. Yes, sentencing still has to happen, but the trial's over and everyone should go home. So this is a really important conversation. I'm glad my friends are here to talk about this and walk through these issues. We have to talk about the true definition of justice. We're going to do that more here on Just the Truth when we come back with my friends Yako Buyans, Pastor Daryl Scott. I hope that you will consider what does justice require. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Just the Truth. We're continuing the conversation about true, meaningful justice and how we have to understand that in the broader context of how the American justice system works. So joining me for this conversation is Yako Buyans, founder of Share Together, and Pastor Daryl Scott, who's the host of SmackDown every Saturday right here on Real America's Voice. So uh, Pastor Daryl, you know, this is a, a conversation, as we were, we were just talking about uh, before the break, that has broader implications than just this one trial. 
trial. I mean, this is a moment in time and an application, hopefully, of true justice. But um, in the broader context of the differences between social justice and true justice, um, what are those terms and help um, viewers understand why that distinction is so important? Well, true justice, once again, as I stated this past Sunday in church, just as a matter of coincidence, true justice is not only blind, but it's unfeeling and uncaring. It, 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 true justice has no emotional attachment at all. True justice looks at the facts, weighs the evidence, and renders a verdict. And once again, many people don't want true justice. They want emotion-based justice. They want feelings-based justice. They want what they consider to be social justice, but social justice on their own terms. And even as you stated about Black Lives Matter and other organizations, Black Lives Matter, really, unless there is a high-profile um, racial incident, they have no cause. They don't seek to improve the conditions in the society that they're in and supposed to be of. They're not looking for social justice in the sense of uh, improving the community that they claim to represent. They're simply looking for revenge. They become a revenge-minded organization that's, in their mind, social justice is um, an eye for an eye, uh, a tooth for a tooth. That's the way they've been led to feel. But that's not true social justice. And, other, and actually, you know what? People are looking for a reason, especially the Black Lives Matter organization. They're looking for reasons to advance socialism under the guise of a racial equality. And what they're considering racial equality is really economic equality. But, you know, you can't have economic equality in a capitalistic system. But God never expected us to have an uh, economic equality. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. When you look at the parable of the talents, God didn't give everybody the same amount to start with. The Bible says he divided to everyone severally according to their ability. And so what they're looking for is how can we introduce socialism into this American system and eliminate capitalism uh, and we'll do it under the guise of a racial inequality and social justice. So they have a nefarious intent behind what their public proclamations are, but their intent is not right. It's, it's evil. It's the undermining of American society. Yeah, and I think that they substitute uh, the true definition of equality with equity. You know, they want to yes. substitute that and they want to uh, force that even Yako through things like critical race theory. I mean, these are things that aren't just isolated. The left's movement towards socialism, toward this collective guilt mentality, uh, through critical race theory, through other um, critical theory in general, it's all coordinated and it's part of the same underlying worldview, right? And to that point, exactly is why I question whether this verdict will have any influence on Black Lives Matter, Inc., whatsoever. Remember, you cannot move culture without changing language. You have to change language. You have to change the way we think and speak. And so what is justice? By definition to Black Lives Matter, Inc., and the social justice warriors, how do they define justice? Because if their definition of justice by design is not what Pastor just spoke of, right? An impartial system that looks at the facts on the table and calls balls and strikes, if that is not what they consider justice, how could they at all be satisfied with this verdict? How could Maxine Waters be satisfied? But she could not 
because they've redefined what our culture believes is to be justice. We've redefined what our culture believes is to be love. Love today is a feeling. It's all emotion driven. And so if justice, in fact, is driven by emotion and therefore the verdict does not make me feel satisfied, it's not going to satisfy. And that is my question here. At what point? Why would we want justice? We want justice to restore equilibrium of a culture. We want justice to do right by those who were done wrong. But it's always, according to the heart of God and Jesus, to restore, to build, never to tear apart. And I could argue that I can't see a single thing within Black Lives Matter, Inc. that is aiming towards building. So the justice they talk about, Jenna, I question 100% whether they have any intention to bring together a nation. This is why the racial conversation in this country is so akin to the racial conversation I lived through in South Africa in, in the in the mid 90s. Just having a racial conversation will not fix a single problem. And pinning two races against one another by redefining <coughs> cert certain words and definitions, you cannot bring people together. So I question whether our definition, according to the Constitution and according to the Word of God, is in fact the same definition they look at. When, it, when it's relating to justice. You're 100% right, Yako, because this isn't about genuine justice. And you're right to say that this, is, this will likely serve just as a catalyst uh, for BLM Inc. to say, see, we're right about systematic racism. We're right about critical race theory. We're right about all of these things, rather than saying, okay, justice, again, whatever the verdict came out to be, Whatever it is, it was supposed to be according to due process, the rule of law, not the rule of emotion. And that in and of itself is what justice as applied in our criminal justice system requires. And so when we look at this, I think you're absolutely correct that people are viewing this through the lens of feeling. And so if they say, well, you know what, this verdict happened, but I don't feel like anything changed. I don't feel differently after the verdict, then they're going to continue to act according to their subjective feelings. And so, Pastor Darrell, this kind of emotion-laden uh, problem has really permeated the church and Christians who've bought into this sort of notion of being social justice warriors instead of advocates for objective truth, the rule of law in America, and uh, some of these actual biblically-based philosophies and doctrines. And why is that so critical that Christians and churches don't embrace these types of secular ideas? Well, you know, the Bible says, Jesus says in the Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> for us to be in the world, but not of the world. He said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we are supposed to have a different worldview, a different mindset, a different outlook and perspective concerning uh, social um, events and activities. And so we have to look at it through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of the Word of God, through the lens we have a barometer to measure by, to gauge things by. But it seems as if we're becoming so uh, earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. We're, we're allowing society to dictate our um, moral temperature and our outlook and viewpoint on social issues when we have a standard, we have the word of God, we have a, a, a standard that we can go to to derive an opinion through. And so that's what's happening. The church is getting caught up in it and the church is trying to become socially relevant, you know, and 
uh, and being socially relevant, they're not being spiritually relevant. And they have to make a decision as to whether I want to be spiritually minded or carnally minded. And there's a large segment of the church that is being that purports to be the church that is carnally minded right now and looking through a different lens than the word of God. Right. And I believe that's what's wrong. Yeah, and, and Yako, you know, your perspective on this as well, when you have uh, people who would say to our panel, well, you know, you're just being racist or you're just being, you know, white supremacist. I mean, you can look at the variety of, you know, all the different inherent uh, characteristics that are very diverse on this panel, and yet we're all saying the same thing because we are grounded in truth, not just opinion and not just this perceived divide of systematic racism, but then you have churches that are actually teaching critical race theory, that they're having segregated services that, you know, who knows what they're going to say about this particular uh, trial verdict this Sunday. Yeah, Jenna, look, we have to address the spiritual climate and the spiritual tone of our nation because we're in a spiritual battle. And I love Pastor Scott. I mean, there's so much truth. It's about truth. And remember, truth disciplines, truth, truth disciplines. And so, okay, we've got the law and we have justice. But what we can't do, according to the word of God, is pick up a brother's offense. Because if you're aiming to get justice, because you are offended, you are now a blurred and a double-minded individual. And you will not be satisfied with that verdict. We have to lay down the offense. And what about grace and mercy, according to the word of God? What about the sacrificial blood? And I feel like we have a, a, a pagan worship religious spirit in this country where people want blood as reward. And, and there will not be blood that way. The last blood that was spilled was by him being the sacrificial lamb. So now that there's a verdict, my question then is this. For those who picked up an offense, are you now shifting into being merciful? Not merciful to where say, okay, we need to let Chauvin walk, but now be merciful to those who you have looped in to the Chauvin conversation, for the white supremacist, you know, rhetoric that's been spewed, for all white men are evil, or all black men hate white men, or whatever you want to say, are you willing now to repent for that, America, and say, look, maybe I crossed the line, maybe I became emotionally charged, maybe I picked up another man's offense, and we're not talking about defending the weak, Ezekiel 33, be the watchman on the wall, but there's a difference to defend the weak and to pick up another's offense. Because an offended heart, right, is blurred. An offended heart will not seek true justice. An offended heart will seek vengeance and revenge. And that we cannot have. And yeah. that's what I think we're still going to see. I hope not, but it may be the case. Yeah, and this gets into the broader conversation as well about vigilante justice and why uh, we have laws against that in America because we know through Romans 13 and other passages in scripture that it is uh, the state that needs to enact civil justice and civil order. So we're going to be talking uh, more about this when we come back on our deep dive here about the true meaning of justice right here on Just the Truth. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
continuing the conversation about true, meaningful justice here on Just the Truth with my friends Jakob Buyens and Pastor Daryl Scott. So, uh, gentlemen, you know, we're talking about the broader implications of the difference between emotional justice versus an objective standard. And uh, Pastor Daryl, in, in the break, um, as we were talking, you raised a really important question. Did this verdict unite America behind our justice system, or did it further divide us? What's your take? Well, let's look at it this way. You know, there was a, a pall hanging over this entire trial, which was the threat of violence and destruction throughout America if the verdict didn't go a certain way. Now, it, nobody can be um, naive enough to think that that did not exist. Now, the verdict did go a certain way. And now they're saying, well, we're gathering in Minnesota to celebrate. But I believe their celebration is going to get out of hand. I hope I'm wrong. But we've seen these celebrations after Super Bowls, after World Series, after NBA championships. We've seen these celebrations wind up being simply nights of carnage and destruction. Now, I, I, I put a tweet out on Twitter, and I've seen several others do it as well. One individual in particular tweeted out, do you think, Derek Chauvin got a fair trial. And at my last count, there were, thought, there were actually more comments than there were opinions, you know, likes or whatever. And so people are, America is divided over this verdict. Uh, do you think he got a fair trial? And Maxine Waters coming in with that ignorance that she, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how ignorant Maxine Waters was. Maxine Waters came out and said nothing less than a first degree murder charge a conviction would be sufficient. But he wasn't even charged with first degree murder. And right. so she had the, the jury doesn't she have any the, way of doing that. Yeah, it was second and third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. So think about it. If there were those that were unlearned or ignorant, and I'm not saying stupid, I'm saying ignorant as mm -hmm. far as being uninformed, that heard this verdict and said, but he didn't get he didn't get charged with first degree murder, so it's still wrong. It's just some idiocy right there on her behalf to help fan these flames. I don't really know, you know, I don't really know if this verdict, there's a huge segment of America this verdict is unsatisfactory to. There's a huge segment of America that saw the same video that other people saw that thinks he's innocent. And social media gives people a platform to express their displeasure. Right. And it also gives them a platform to unite collectively. I mean, I watched it during the riots of 2020. People are using social media as a platform to say when and where we're going next, especially up here in the area that I live in. So yeah, I don't really think this is going to do much to unite the country. It actually might even divide the country further. Yeah, and, and I hope Yako, not, but I think it might. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's very perceptive, Pastor Scott. And, and Yako, you know, you raised a point earlier that so many people feel so personally invested as if this harm occurred directly to them and that they were somehow victimized by Derek Chauvin's conduct. And that's an important question here because as much as we can all be interested in the outcome of this, we look at the uh, American justice system on display here, we also have to face the reality that uh, these types of trials are not about us, they're about the two parties involved. And so, what what does this say to you when uh, we face this question of where do we go from here and is this going to unite us further or just further divide? Yeah, such a good point. We have to ask ourselves, why? what does looting a store do for this trial? Because the people looting the store feel they deserve justice personally. 
because they picked up that offense because politicians in this country have predisposed them to the notion that somehow the George Floyd situation made them done wrong by, if that makes sense. So let's go pre-George Floyd to answer this question. Will this verdict pull America together? Well, did George Floyd split America apart? Or was there an underlying condition pre-George Floyd? And George Floyd was the matchstick in the proverbial gas tank. Of course, that was the case. We have put a Band-Aid on conversations in this country, Jenna, and political pundits push the race narrative. They push the divide because it's about a voter block. It's what we're seeing on the border today. It's always about using race for political gain. And now it's biting us in the back because you now have entitled every American with the belief that they somehow were done wrong by. And how could this verdict today make that person feel like they personally got justice? Therefore, I say, no, this is not going to unite our country. Absolutely not. Yeah. And, you know, and that's where we have to go back to the the justice system and the reason that we have due process under our U.S. Constitution, because for everyone who's out there, we went to the reporter earlier and I've been, you know, watching some of this coverage all day where, uh, you know, people who are saying, well, I'm going to feel a certain way if the verdict uh, is one way or the other. And then after the verdict was read, people who weren't part of this um, at all in terms of personally affected that are saying, oh, I'm, I'm so grateful, I feel such joy. Well, why? You have to ask yourself, is it because of true meaningful justice or is it just because of the outcome? Because, Yako, this is something where uh, the leftists are all about outcome-oriented decisions. They don't care the method or the means. And whether this is according to the rule of law, whether it's according to due process, they don't care that Derek Chauvin is a person. He's someone's son. He's someone's brother. Um, yeah, I don't know if he has any siblings, but, you know, he's relate. he has relationships. He is a human being made in the image of God. He's standing trial in a country that is supposedly about liberty and justice for all. And yet you have this outcome-oriented, driven BLM Incorporated that is so focused on the outcome that they're forgetting to even comment on the process. Yeah, and remember, Mr. Chauvin, according to the Word of God and the cross, is redeemable. He's redeemable. He should serve his time. But he is redeemable as a human being, as a son of God. But the reason it's all emotionally driven is because truth is fluid to the left, Jenna. There is no truth. So the only thing the left can measure is how they feel. How dangerous is that? How dangerous is it if there's no absolute truth? There's no rudder and a plumb line, which is the word of God, by the way. And it covers every issue we could ever face in society. But if there's no truth, you now have an anarchist society where you have 370 plus million Americans in their version of justice now all of a sudden because of how they feel. And that's what we're facing today. And it's been emboldened by the left, by, by mainstream media. You should feel right. You should feel this way. Well, I, we can't make everybody feel good. Justice may not make you feel good. But if it's just and it is due process, then, then that's the law and it should stand.
Right. And, and this is, Pastor Scott, in the last minute we have left, I mean, this is why it's so important that the church is grounded in true biblical theology, not just feelings-based theology and not just saying, well, Jesus is about love in the feeling sense or justice is about, as Yako put it, uh, emotionally based. And so when we're looking at the church and theology, uh, where is the fact and the genuine theology of her feeling? Well, you're absolutely right. Let me touch back real quick on something you said, Jenna, about everyone being connected to their feelings. When we, when we observed George Floyd's funeral, the point of a funeral is to eulogize a man, Al Sharpton, the Reverend Al Sharpton, turn it into a political statement. Uh, the ambulance chasing, race baiting, race hustling Al Sharpton, he turns it into a political statement by saying, they have their foot on our neck. And what he did, he brought everybody like in to connect everyone with that feeling that we all are oppressed. We're all on trial. We've all been killed. And, and, <laughs> and any verdict that goes against us is an indictment of society. And we're going to have to take a break right there. We'll be right back. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Just the Truth. We're continuing the conversation about true, meaningful justice. And did that occur today? And how much influence do politicians play in the court of public opinion that may taint juries for future trials? And did past comments influence this trial? So here's what Joe Biden said just today. They're a good family, and they're calling for peace and tranquility, no matter what that verdict is. I'm praying the verdict is the right verdict, which is, I think it's overwhelming in my view. I wouldn't say that unless the, the jury was sequestered now, not hear me say that. So joining me back on the panel is Yako Buyans and Pastor Daryl Scott. And uh, Yako, I mean, th so this is something that I think was incredibly reckless of Joe Biden when he's saying, you know, the, the evidence is overwhelming and, oh, but I can say that because the jury's sequestered, they're not hearing me. But the rest of America is hearing him. Yeah, you have to ask yourself, what was the purpose in that? You know, if, if he says then the jury is sequestered and he's not intending to influence anything and he can't influence anything, why not wait until tomorrow and then comment on the verdict after it was delivered? You have to ask. And I always just get back to intent. Intent. And the law is written on intent, by the way. What was the intent for that press conference for not saying, you know what, I want to de deflect. I'm not going to answer that question. It's an ongoing trial. And let's wait and see what the justice system comes up with at the end of the day. Yeah. And Pastor Darrell, that would seem like um, the more responsible thing to do. I mean, just like how uh, during the nomination hearings of uh, future federal judges, when now the, the, the status quo and kind of the practice has been that they don't comment on future decisions that may arise in front of them. Well, Joe Biden here was commenting on a live situation rather than respecting the rule of law, respecting the process and saying, you know what, I have faith in the jury that they will look 
at the facts, they will render a true verdict, and whatever the verdict is, I'm going to stand behind that because that's how our system works. Wouldn't that have been uh, a much more appropriate thing for our supposed uh, pretender commander-in-chief? Yeah, Joe has been a professional politician for 47 years. He's been president for a couple of months. So he's still acting as a politician, and everything he says has a political intent behind it. Joe Biden wasn't speaking to America. Joe Biden was speaking to black America. Joe Biden was doing what he thought was necessary to solidify and secure the black vote. Notice what he said. He said that I hope it's the right verdict. Okay, to say there's a right verdict implies that it can be a wrong verdict. He should have said that the verdict is fair. A fair verdict is what we're looking for. And, and, and Joe made an illusion that it could possibly be a wrong verdict. And he was doing it for political purposes because him and the rest of the party, they want to make it look like this. The Democratic Party is on George Floyd's side. The left is on George Floyd's side. And the Republican Party, the right, is on Derek Chauvin's side. And they're making it a black-white issue. And they're looking at a voting block. And they say, we can help continue to solidify this voting block by taking the side of this voting block right here. Now, the one thing I would appreciate in high-profile trials like this, I intentionally reserved an opinion. If you look back over any social media post I made, I didn't give an opinion. I as didn't either, guilty for the innocence. same reason. Because I would hope that our influencers on the right would need to be more responsible and mindful of the influence that they have so that it won't inadvertently help fuel this divide. Because right now it's making it look like the liberal left and the Democratic Party was on George Floyd's side and the conservative right and the Republican Party was on Derek Chauvin's side. And, and it's, we a, can't it's ever a huge manipulation right yeah, there. Yeah. It's a manipulation. We can't ever do that because we should yeah. all be on the side of true justice genuine yeah. fairness be on the side of the then, U.S. Constitution. And so, Yako, here with the last uh, couple minutes we have here, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, look, that is exactly right. We are not the judge, and we cannot abuse power because we have influence on social media. And here's the, can you imagine what would have happened if he was guilty on one account? There would have been an outburst where black America would say, but the president already decided. But the president said, there's a right vote to pastor's point. It was reckless. Can you imagine? Praise God we're not seeing that tonight, because can you imagine what that would be? And it is 100 percent the politicians speaking, Pastor. You're so right. And it is about a voter block. It's always about a voter block, which means, America, you're being manipulated to think the way they want you to think versus letting the law speak for itself. So, Yaka, where then do we go from here as Christians, as truth tellers, as people who have to stand up with courage and say we will continue to be on the side of justice and what justice requires rather than buying into that form of manipulation? Jeanette's going to sound simple, but a self-proclaimed Christian, a lover of Jesus Christ, has to base every decision and every action based on the Word of God, which is the absolute truth, which you cannot add to and you cannot take away. You can't preach around it. you got to preach it. Okay? And so until we do that as the American church today, where we let God speak for Himself and we do not manipulate His Word to justify abortion, to justify the race conversation and fill in the blank, until that day comes, we're going to be divided in the church 
and divided you fall. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today on this really, really important conversation. And I hope that uh, everyone will watch Pastor Daryl Scott on SmackDown on Saturdays. And also uh, follow Yako. You uh, always post such great things on social media and also at sharetogethernow.org. Look forward to seeing you gentlemen soon in the future. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.